in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Warriors beat the Nets last night. A blowout after halftime, 117-99. to Early season hot take. Are the Warriors back? Is this team back to being the most dominant in the NBA? I don't think it's a hot take. I think you're right. Steph Curry's going crazy. 37 last night. Yeah. He had 9 of 14. This of must threes. make you very happy. You love this team. I mean, I love watching. You, love how, well, you love how they play. Yeah, they've been the, probably the most entertaining basketball team in the history of the sport. Yeah. Like, offensively, they're incredible. And they don't even have Clay Thompson right now either. So Washington's a, a much bigger surprise. But, yeah, I think the Warriors are bad. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to see Washington not being good <laughs> by the time oh, the season's over. Oh, eventually, yeah. But this team, like, with Steph Curry, the way he's shooting. Yeah. And, I mean, he was phenomenal last year, too. But they're, they dominated the Nets in the third quarter yesterday. Like, dominated them. Wasn't, it wasn't even a competition after half. It was like a four, six-point game at halftime or something like that. Absolutely crushed them in the second half. And it was, you know, in Brooklyn, That's the Nets are should be a title contender. Like, it's unbelievable that the Warriors are this good again. And I'm curious to see how long it stays. But I, I think there's reason to believe the Warriors are They're are much back. more sustainable than others. Yeah, they're back. Back as the best team in the NBA. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> Joe Flacco <laughs> will start. Rich Samini says, in a surprise, the Jets are planning to start Joe Flacco against Miami. Zach Wilson is still not 100%. Flacco's experience, likely a big factor in the decision, facing I mean, blitz-heavy deep. He's got so much experience, I didn't realize he was still in the league. <laughs> You know who is the most experienced quarterback on the uh, Chiefs roster? Chad Henney. He's still there as well? Yes. So I don't understand this. He's got a lot of experience. Most of it, it's losing. Except I, for that I, one year. I'd be year. willing to bet Pat Mahomes has played more games than Chad Henney. Well, 120. Yeah, you're probably right. Because of the postseason? No, just period. Mm, I don't think so. Chad Henney. Ooh. Well, wait, does does him coming in to like hold on a snap count? Patrick Mahomes has more starts than Chad Henney. 56 to 54. Okay. Chad Henney has played in 20 games that he did not start, which sounds... Well, remember though, he also backed up Blake Bortles. So there was a lot of times he had to come in and... I don't know what you do there. Listen, in Jacksonville, he had a three-year stretch where he did not start a game through a total of five passes, but got credited for playing in six games. All right, fine. All I'm saying is Joe Flacco isn't that good. Oh, he's not good at all. No. I just chose apparently the worst argument I possibly could. No, <laughs> well, you don't really do that. What do you think? What is the Jets? Uh, Staples Center will have a new name on Christmas. It will now be called Crypto.com Arena. They're going to put like a billion dollars into this thing. They said to get it ready for June of next year. New everything concourses seats um everything you can think of and you ask me i mean look with all that money i think people will call it crypto crypto.com arena on deadline it might be hard and you see just keep saying staples i mean we call it the smoothie king arena <laughs> and that's center. 
Oh, sorry, the Smoothie <laughs> King Center. Center. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a dumber name for a for like a dumber naming rights for any st like stadium, arena, whatever in the world. You'll uh, call it that. You're into crypto. Will I? I think so. I don't know how many times I reference that building. It's true. It's not like it comes up every day. I mean, maybe if I live there. But here, so here's the interesting part about naming rights. This is probably as well as it could have gone for crypto.com, where everybody makes this big deal about, oh, it's Staples Center. It's always going to be Staples Center, blah, blah, blah. We're not calling it crypto. It's probably great because everybody's like up in arms about why it's going to be called this. Whereas most of the time when you have a naming rights deal, you're just like, all right, whatever. Like, okay, that's cool. Like T-Mobile yeah, Arena. Is cool. what it is. Right. is what it is. This is what you call it. Whatever. But like people are mad at it, which is probably best case scenario for crypto.com. The people are mad about it because more people are talking about Nobody it. Nobody knows how much they're going to pay. We're it's not bringing lot. up. If they had if they had gone out and was like, hey, we're going to be the naming rights sponsor of the Utah Jazz yeah. Arena. Not not coming on our show. I don't. We're not bringing that up. Who's who's the Utah Jazz? By the I'm way? on it. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate that. But that's. Uh, I think I know this. It's a uh, Vivint. It's it's uh it's like Ring Home Security System. I think it's the Vivint Arena. Maybe Vivint Center. That's a, that's a strong guess by me. Feeling very confident about this. But uh, yeah, we're not talking about if they're sponsoring the Utah Jazz. My the funniest naming rights thing to me though is that American Airlines is the building sponsor it is vivant there we go Nailed isn't it. american airlines in dallas and miami yeah what is the american airlines arena what is the american <laughs> airlines center it's a lot of money <laughs> to do two naming rights deals and i don't care how much money american yeah. airlines has but they have two and they're they, they just had to all right well we already used arena so we got to use center over here next question Zion Williamson has been cleared to participate right. in contact drills. Is this guy ever going to play? He might as well be on the Knights. He might kids, as well. He's always hurt. Or Richie Incognito. Like, He's got a calf injury. This is probably not fair because what's Zion? Is he like even 22 yet? This is uh, probably not no. fair. But I'm like, he's fun to watch because he's a guy that attacks the rim as aggressively as like anybody we've seen in recent years. And I'm worried that we're not really going to get to see no. a Zion Williamson career because of injuries. I mean, this this injury at first was like he'll miss the start of the season. Like that was when the Pelicans, they first announced it as, hey, he'll miss the start of the season. And now it's into November 17th, and he's just now cleared for contact drills. So like, I I'm, mean, is this guy Greg Oden? <sighs> I mean, I hope I, not. I, I, no, I hope not either because I love watching him yeah. play as well. But... He dunks on everybody. He's a large, large person with a lot of feet and foot injuries. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not fun. I, I want him to be healthy. I want him to play, but there's just this big concern. And again, it's probably not fair. He's like 20 years old. There's just this big concern that Zion Williamson. We're we're never actually going to get to see Zion <laughs> Williamson. Man, you know that's a great question. Nevada lost to Santa Clara, 96 to 74. Um. So Ken Palm did have Santa Clara projected to win that game. But surprisingly, by one point. <laughs> they won by 22. Nevada lost that game close, you know, a you know, last second shot goes in, then eh, probably not as big of a deal, but you lose the game by 22. They are now Nevada's now 1 and 2 this year 
with losses to San Diego and Santa Clara. And San Diego turned around and lost to Cal. Are are they bad? Is Nevada bad? I, I mean, I thought with Grant Sherfield coming back, and he had like 24 last night, that they were going to be really good. But, man, they, they're they losing to teams. Like we said before the, before the show, I'm thinking about the WCC. San Francisco's better. Gonzaga's better. BYU's better. We just assume St. Mary's better. Santa Clara's like the fifth or sixth best team in the WCC, and they run them out of the building? Like, that's not good. I, I will say, I have not seen Nevada play, so I don't know exactly what's We've happening seen Sherfield here. play. I think Sherfield's the best player in the conference I do based on what happened last yes. year. Yes. I think he's the best player in the conference. But you're telling me, like, again, a 22-point loss to, to Santa, Santa Clara, Clara. and a, a seven-point loss at home to San Diego. Who's not – Who's I'm sorry, they're not good. No. Like, that's – that's brutal. And, you you know, you look at the Mountain West and can this conference get three teams in? Nevada was supposed to be one of these contenders. They were supposed to be up there with Carter State and San Diego State. They might already be right. out as an at-large. Yeah. I mean, those two losses, that might already brutal. be – they might be out no, as No, because I don't know their schedule, but I have to think they're about to play some other good teams. Or some – The schedule's not, not teams, great. Some good teams. Uh, they play San Francisco next. Okay. I think Sched- they'll lose that. Proje- projected to lose. After that uh, – the only other top 100 teams they play are South Dakota State and Loyola Marymount, who are 78th and 80th. Would it offer just say I'll play the de- the bottom half of the WCC with yeah. the Loyolas and the San- well San Francisco's top four team? They do play Washington, but Washington's not any good this year. So that schedule by all yeah, it's not a, it's not a tough schedule. And he was coming back with supposedly a really good team at all. Yeah, as of right now, this will change a lot as these teams adjust. But Ken Palm has their non-conference strength of schedule at 199th. What is Ken Palm having finishing with the record? Um, nineteen and twelve right well, now. Well, here's the thing with it's Ken be Palm: a long haul to get to nineteen if you're losing to these teams. Ken Palm's preseason rankings slowly get weeded out of the formula here. Mm-hmm. So three games into the season, yeah, everybody's still fairly similar no to where they were at you're the right. beginning of the year. Once we get to January, that's when Ken Palm is all the all the data that goes into Ken Palm rankings is based on this year. A lot of this is still based on the preseason rankings. So it'll it's it'll be slow to adjust. Like if they keep losing, it's still going to be pretty slow to adjust. But as I mean, you lose those San, San Diego and Santa Clara. Nobody's looking back on those at quality losses. No. So when we talk about the NCAA tournament and given that they don't have many chances to get quality wins. <laughs> They're they're probably already out unless they win the Mountain West tournament. Grant Sherfield saying, "Now why can't why I came back there for what? What did I come back for?" <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'll see. Kansas walk-on Jared uh, Cassidy has an NIL deal. He caught the game-winning two-point conversion to beat Texas. Now, based on this picture that Jesse Newell tweeted out, can you tell what restaurant that is? Uh, it says Applebee's. Oh, it does say it. Where, it says did, where did I miss that? It says it in the tweet. Oh, I'm an idiot. Okay. Shooting TV ads today for Applebee's commercials to run in Kansas. Kid looks like he's getting like a big uh, mashed potatoes with a chicken. He's got some appetizers on the table. Not, oh. And she's holding a burger. This kid can put it down. No, you know what it is? Applebee's apparently has a deal. Two for 22 Two entrees for $22. He's taking it. He caught the two-point conversion. Uh, There's no doubt this kid's saying in the commercial, like, go always, for two? always go for two. Always go for two. There's no, that, there's, yeah. that's, that's absolutely what he's saying, right? I, mean, I love this kid. Walk on fullback, his first ever catch is a two-point conversion and winner. 
It's Kansas. He has to be the only one with an NIL. <laughs> Who else would have an NIL with Kansas football? Well, okay, football specifically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, football. No, the football. funny part is in the picture of him, you can see in the background, there's Kansas a basketball. Kansas basketball player on the wall at this Applebee's. Is that an old-time shot of Kurt Heinrich? Yes, I think that's right. Oh, my goodness. Boy, talk about old school. That is a hell of a recognition by you to recognize wow. Kirk Heinrich in this photo. Unbelievable. <laughs> Kirk Heinrich. Yeah. That is, I, that's I am him. impressed. No, you're right. I Listen, I looked at it, didn't know who it was, and you say Kirk Heinrich. It is it's absolutely Kirk Heinrich. Yes. Kirk Heinrich. If you thought you were getting a Kirk Heinrich reference on the press box today, congratulations. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Big League Weekend will feature the A's and the Guardians. The Cleveland baseball team is coming. Uh, two games, March 12th and 13th. What I thought was funny, the press release that was sent out by the Aviators about the game did not use the word Guardians in the entire press nah. release. They only referred to they the team as Cleveland and Oakland. Did not use Guardians, which I thoroughly enjoy, given that the Guardians have a lawsuit. Well, I guess it got settled, but had a lawsuit with a roller derby team that was also called the Cleveland Guardians. So they didn't say Cleveland and Las Vegas. They did not. Cleveland and Oakland are playing in Las Vegas. Um, Yeah, test run for Vegas. Eh, Probably not. It's the A's. This is their minor league affiliate. This is what happens every year, basically. Right? Minor league affiliate comes down. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into baseball, and Ed is gone. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Ed is gone. Gotta get swabbed. Yeah, gotta get tested by the Raiders to be allowed in. Um, Jared's trying to end up doing the show by himself. I assume was his objective with that rejoin. Well, I had that or a Scott Boris clip about the Braves tanking that is 55 seconds long of Scott Boris. Play it. All right, hold on. I got to go grab it because I didn't grab it. That's what I want to talk about here because Scott Boris is... Scott Boris was apparently mad that the Braves won the World Series. Like, upset that the Braves won the World Series. Sorry, which, it, it's 51 seconds. Beautiful. I was also upset the Braves won the World Series, but I don't think Scott Boris is an Astros fan. It's not about the Atlanta Braves or about their general manager or ownership. It's really about the rules. And the rules allowed them to be a less than 500 team at August 1st and add four players five players from teams that no longer wanted to compete and for very little cost change the entirety of their team and season. So in effect, the integrity of the 2021 season changed because it was a race to the bottom to get draft picks for many, many teams, unloading payroll, and not in any way respecting the integrity of divisional races and or the dynamic of what a world championship should mean. That is a hell of a take. And a hell of a take from Scott Boris because, all right, he's, he's an agent for players, right? He wants the players to make as much money as possible because, in effect, he makes as much money as possible the more they make. 
So by default, he wants every team to be competitive or at least be trying to be competitive and every team to be spending money to try to win. So I can understand why an agent for baseball players would be upset that teams aren't competitive, that teams don't spend a bunch of money, that teams don't want to have a big payroll. I understand that. But his argument here sucks. His argument here is awful. He's trying to talk about the integrity of the 2021 World Series champion Atlanta Braves because they made some trades with the Marlins, Royals, and Indians at the deadline. Hey, you know what they were doing? Trying to win. Right. Like the Braves were one of the teams trying to win. And here's the thing. Like, for there, there's a lot of places to go. First off, does Scott Boris think that it would have been in the Marlins, Royals, and Indians' best interest to try to win at the trade deadline? Like, does he think they'd be better off as an organization if they had suddenly gone all in and traded for Joey Gallo or Chris Bryant? Like, no. Like, no, because those teams that the teams that traded Joey Gallo and Chris Bryant should also have right. been going all yes. in. Yes. So, like, I don't understand. He, it's like he doesn't comprehend the logic of, okay, at the trade deadline, there's going to be buyers and sellers, right? If you have a guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year and you're not in contention, you'd be dumb not to trade him. You'd be dumb not to try to get a draft pick or, yeah, I don't know why he's a draft pick in baseball. They always trade prospects. But, like, yeah, it's, it's illegal to trade draft picks, by the way. But, like, I, I don't get the idea. Yes, in the offseason, he should be mad that, you know, the Marlins payroll is going to be $17 next year, right? He should be mad that the the whoever, the Royals, aren't going to spend money. Whoever it is, right? That I totally get. But at the trade deadline, if you're out of it, you should trade any of your assets that are not going to give you future value. There's no doubt about it. You should trade away Jorge Soler and Jock Peterson, right? That, that's a no-brainer move. The other part that doesn't make any sense the last two teams the Braves beat to win the World Series also traded for people at the <laughs> deadline. They beat the Astros in the World Series, who also made a trade with the Marlins and the Indians, the same two teams the Braves made a trade with, right? The Astros traded for relievers from those two teams, right? So the idea that the integrity of the World Series was flipped because of that, both teams that won the World or that were in the World Series traded with some of the same exact teams at the deadline. And then probably even worse is the team that the Braves beat the NLCS traded for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner at the deadline. Hey, Trey Turner was a throw in. Yes. <laughs> they traded for. Okay. The Braves traded for Jorge Soler and Jock Peterson and Adam Duvall. <laughs> the Dodgers traded for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at the idea of like I, the Cubs had Jorge Soler and basically went, does anybody want this guy? We made a mistake and then did the same thing with Jack Peterson. And it's like, <laughs> we'll take him and we'll ride him to victory. So I, I don't get what Scott Boris is mad at that. The Braves won the world series because they traded for guys at the deadline and uh, the teams they beat also traded for guys at the deadline. Like, regardless of who won the World Series, there was going to be, oh, they made a move for somebody at the deadline. Like, the Nationals had no interest in winning. So if the Dodgers had gone on to win that series and win the World Series, would the integrity of the World Series been compromised as well? Because the Nationals were tanking? 
Like, no, of course not. That's what happens in this sport. That's what happens in almost all of our sports, right? Except for the NFL, which is weird. But, like, almost all of our sports, teams that don't have a chance to win are going to trade away assets that don't give them future value. That's just that's just how American sports works. And Scott Boris, for some reason, is complaining about that. And I don't know, complaining. the part, And that's the other part. That when he was like, the rules allow them to be less than 500 at August 1st, add four players, and then win. Like, okay, isn't that what you want? Like, if you're if you're a player agent, you want the team that's under 500 to be trying to win on August 1st. That's what he wants, isn't it? Like, that's what he wants the Marlins, Royals, and Indians, and Nationals to be doing. So why is he mad that the Braves did it and won? He should be championing the Braves. He should be like, look what happens... When you try to win despite not having a hundred pace win record. Also, at the very least, you should be happy anytime your guy on an expiring contract goes to a winner because then they're they they can go into free agency going, Did you see what I just did in the World Series? Like what brain yeah. like what agent is sitting there going, No, no, don't go win. Stay with your team and lose in the wild card. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. It's a bizarre take from Scott Boris that I do not comprehend because that's not like, okay, you want to be mad at tanking? Sure, that's fine. I don't think you should be mad at tanking in baseball, though, because some teams are going to finish really bad and last anyways. I think you should be mad at the teams who don't try to win who are right around 500 like the Braves were. Like, those are the teams, and not even, but not during the season. This is all about the offseason. If you're a player agent, I think the focus has to be on the offseason, right? Free agency is started in baseball. Who has signed? Thor. Noah Syndergaard got a one-year deal, right? None of the big free agents have signed. Now, one slight caveat to that is there's probably going to be a lockout in two weeks, and I assume the big-name free agents don't want to sign until the new CBA is agreed to just in case there's something in there that could screw them, right, with whatever contract they signed. So that's one caveat, but it's not like this is the first time this has happened in baseball. It's not like this is the first time where players have not signed deals until later in the year. I mean, hell, Dallas Keuchel won a Cy Young two years later as a free agent, didn't sign until June. Jake Arrieta won a Cy Young and literally couldn't couldn't start pitching because just no one wanted him at spring training. That's what you should be mad at, not... Oh, the Braves traded for Jorge Soler at the trade deadline, and that altered the course of history. Like, it it did. Not happy about it. But, like, there's no reason to be mad at that. Coming up next, Jason Fitz. He plays the fiddle and is friends with Sarah Spain. And you are not. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. All right, Jason, fill me in. Conversation you were having with Jared before you came on the air. What's Luke Skywalker doing? Okay, so, you know, random thing that a lot of people don't realize about most touring musicians is you don't really, you don't have health care. You don't get any sort of normal insurance. So when I got uh, my job with ESPN, they told me, you know, ESPN's a Disney company, and they were like, you got to buy, you got to pick a health plan. I've never, as an adult, picked a health plan. I had no idea how. So they're like, oh, well, we have these tutorials you watch. And it was literally Luke Skywalker walking you through, like, how many times do you go to the doctor a year? It was very dramatic, but I was kind of in for it. Like, and, like, I went through an hour-long tutorial to figure out health care, but I felt really good about it. Every year when the options come back up and you can select a new plan, 
I'm always like, I kind of, I, I kind of want to like have Luke guide me through it. I still trust him in that. <laughs> it, wait, is it actually Mark Hamill? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually <laughs> Mark Hamill's voice walking you through everything you need to know about health insurance. I need to know the conversation with Mark Hamill to be like, all right, Mark, uh, we need, we need, we have open enrollment for healthcare for our employees. We're going to need you to walk through all these options with them. Can you do that? Yeah, I'm I'm sure that the response was, how much is it? Okay, sure, yep, that, yep, that check, yep, I'll do that. All right, uh, something you tweeted out. Uh, you came up with your own NFL playoff committee to get the best teams in the NFL if we had a college football-style four-team NFL playoff. Um, so tell me, you had 13 experts. Who are these 13 experts? You, are you letting them stay anonymous? Uh, most of, I mean, I, 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 there are some of them that are staying anonymous, yeah, because I, I promised them anonymity so they wouldn't get destroyed on Twitter. But uh, I did have uh, not just ESPN employees, so it was, I'll say some of the names, like Mina Kimes uh, was in this, uh, Mike Oluk Jr. was in this, um, Ian Fitzsimmons, uh, Diana Rossini, uh, a bunch of our experts, Dan Orlovsky gave me his top. Um, but then I also went outside the company, and I'll tell you, I had one former NFL head coach that doesn't work for the company that I was just talking to about something else, uh, and he was like, yeah, I'll give you my top ranking. So I even got a, a former coach involved. So uh, I tried to do, but the whole exercise, and you'll appreciate this, like I think the whole exercise was not just to rile up NFL fans, but also to show people <laughs> how maddeningly uh, difficult the CFP job is, right? Like Because the Titans were a great example. Several, like Michael Jr., did not have the Tennessee Titans on his top six because if you apply the college football playoff standard, they have a blowout loss to Arizona and they have an inexcusable loss to the Jets. So even though they're playing like a top six team right now, that takes them out of it. So it was interesting seeing how everybody applied the rather asinine college football playoff process. So this was before this last weekend's games. It was Arizona, Tampa, Green Bay, and Tennessee as the top four with the Rams and Dallas at five and six. Uh, did you feel good about that? Like, did you tweet that out? Did you say, yes, this is the top four. This is who you'd want to see. No, I thought it was pretty surprising. I know that Buffalo has played poorly, but Buffalo and the Ravens were the only other two teams to even get a vote. I thought it was a little surprising that Tampa Bay was ranked as high as they were. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what, and remember this is before we watched the Cardinals get their butt kicked by the Panthers, but I, I don't know what else the Cardinals have to do to get any level of respect too. So I, I thought all of it was a little bit interesting because some people had uh, the cards ranked low. The, the team that was really consistent was the Packers. The Packers were basically number three on everybody's list, which I also thought was kind of interesting. Um, would you prefer this in the NFL? You deal with it in college football. Would, would this make it better? Uh, no, but it would make things interesting. I mean, here's the thing. Everybody talks about college football playoff expansion, and I, I'm all for it. I want more teams to get in. But we also have to acknowledge, like, just to be real, uh, when I'm hosting ESPN, there's very little college football content most of the time on because a lot of the country doesn't care as much about it. So if you're a college football fanatic and you want to hear more college football talk, expansion is actually going to hurt that. Because right now, how many times are we talking on Tuesday and Wednesday about what team's going to be five or six because we're worried about who's going to make the Final Four? I genuinely don't believe fans will be as fired up as uh, over who's number 12 and who's number 13. So you know, I think it will actually reduce some of the conversation we have around college football. But right now, man, it makes for so much drama that that's what I love about it. And I don't necessarily – this is a message for Raiders fans too. Like, remember this moment because I'm getting blown up. Whenever the Raiders are good, I get blown up about how much, you know, the national media doesn't give them enough respect because they're not high enough on the power <laughs> ranking. And why do people care? 
that's what I don't like. If your team's actually winning, Titans fans yesterday were up all over my mentions because my Nashville passed, and I got a buddy that works in radio in Nashville. They spent all day yesterday talking about the fact that Keyshawn Johnson said they're not a good team on a victory Monday on radio. Like, why does anyone give a damn what Keyshawn thinks when your team actually wins? Like, at what point do we just, uh, like, step back and say, man, I really enjoy victory Mondays. Like, we've become such a, a I want my respect society for our favorite football teams that we care too much about this stuff. So the playoff ranking would be interesting for that. All right. What are you doing with the Raiders right now? Is the season over? Is this all done? So I, I'm always real with you. On Sunday, I turned the game off uh, in the in the fourth quarter. I turned it off and said I can't watch any more of this. And my language wasn't that polite when I did it. And I woke up Monday and I said, every every year there's a week where I finally realize that this team's not good and I have to stick a fork in it. And that's where I was Monday. Then uh-huh. I get to Tuesday and I'm like, man, I forget. It's only the halfway point of the season. Like the Raiders <laughs> are five and four. The, the destiny's still there in front of them. That being said, I don't think we're playing well enough to make the playoffs. Don't they typically collapse at this point? <laughs> like, is that the destiny? Well, I mean, my hope is that every year is going to be different. But you know, I, I like the the thing that's kind of common every year to me in the second half of the season that I think is interesting that I thought would be different this year. This is just a collapse. It's the change in identity. Like you knew what the Raiders were trying to accomplish the first four or five weeks of the season. The last two weeks, and even the first two weeks after Gruden, we were like, okay, I understand where the play calling is going. The last two weeks, I don't know if it's because they don't trust the offensive line to run the football at all or if Carr's just so you know lost without rugs. I, I don't know what the answer is, but they don't seem to have any idea what they're trying to accomplish at the line of scrimmage offensively. So I, I'm really stunned by that portion, and that's what's happened the last couple of years too where you – you find yourself in week 10 or 11 or 12 saying, who is this football team? I don't know anymore. That's what we're all saying now. Do they pull you back if they beat Cincinnati on Sunday? Uh, probably because they still have a real chance. Like <laughs> that's the hardest part about it. They're not out of it yet. So like the rational, like if, I, if, if you were asking me this question about any team that I didn't love, I would tell you, no, it, it takes, I've, I've said for a long time, I like to make my judgments based on three week body of work. So how, how have you looked for the last three weeks? Maybe gives me a better idea. So should one game against Cincinnati matter that much? No, but then I can't be rational when I know that a, my heart's involved and B, you know, there's still a chance. And at five and four, there's still a chance. Now they've got, you know, the Cowboys a few days after that on Thanksgiving day, that's not an enviable matchup. Like the Cowboys are really thinking good. So if they lose to Cincinnati, I, I think, you know, it's pretty easy to see, two, you know, the, the loss coming on Thanksgiving. If they beat Cincinnati, then you think, all right, well, we've got a chance to get through this little, this little bump in the road and maybe find new focus. So I just don't think we have any idea what's really, what it's really like in that locker room right now, and I don't think we can know what to expect. Beat Cincinnati, beat Dallas, and everything's okay. They're going to the playoffs. Oh, they beat Dallas. They're going to the playoffs. Heck yeah, the Cowboys are really good. I mean, I got no problem reversing my hot take that quickly. Let's go. Like, I'll, I'll Stephen A the heck out of this, not even acknowledge what I said before, and just go to the different side. Um, all right. Uh, what are you doing with Gus Bradley and Jonathan Abram right now? Should they bench him? How much is the loss to Kansas City on Bradley versus, well, you don't want to put Abram in coverage anyways? Yeah, well, I think a couple of things on this. I, I put part of it on Gus Bradley, and, you know, Michael Jr. said to me on Monday, he's like, leave it to the Raiders to be the one team that sees everybody else in the league run a blueprint on how to beat the Chiefs and then not replicate that blueprint. I put part of that on Gus Bradley. I put part of that on Rich Bisaccia, honestly. Like, the head coach has got to come in and say, "What? what why are we doing that? You know, and I think the defensive game plan 
was poor, but Jonathan Abram picked a bad time to have a bad game. I don't know that I bench him, uh, but I think it reinforces some of the concerns that we've had that Abram is really good at one thing. And if he's asked not to do that one thing, he's not particularly great. So, you know, this is just part of the, the difficulty of the week-to-week portion of the Raiders because, you know, last week everybody was trying to have really smart conversations about the good things that Mike Mayock has done as a GM and the good draft picks. And then we walk into last week and it's like, oh, wait, there's a reminder that there's a bunch of uh, hit. Like, it's been very hit and very missed. And at this point, the way Jonathan Abram played last week puts him on the miss category. Did you figure out where Deshaun Jackson was running after he caught the pass? I mean, have you ever seen a wide receiver with that kind of resume <laughs> and that kind of game intelligence look that lost on the field? Like, it's like he didn't know which end zone he was supposed to be running too quickly. I was like, good Lord, who, who said what? Like, it's like he was waiting for the punchline of a joke or something. And, and to see him let the ball get punched out like that, I mean, that's just a, a regrettable play. But for everybody that's talked about that being the turning point, let's not forget that the Raiders were just getting – I mean, thrashed at that point. And there's there's no mistaking the fact that the Chiefs offense got right against that Raiders defense. All right. uh, Before we let you go, let me know what should we be mad about in the college football playoff rankings this week? Oh, man. You know, here's – well, let me tell you this. This week right now, there's not a lot to be mad about. But there are two things to keep an eye on. One, uh, you know, can Michigan State even give Ohio State a game? I really hope so because they are just getting jobbed by this stupid committee that decided that a head-to-head <laughs> game from a week and a half ago doesn't matter. And then tried to tell me, like, Gary, Gary part of the committee chair, tried to actually tell me this week when I asked him about it that body of work supports the, the inclusion of Michigan still because they beat a tough Penn State team on the road. It's a tough Tough in the sense of what? Like, the committee didn't have them ranked. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. And then the other thing that I think everybody should start to just roll their eyes at is I can find a pretty easy path that has two of the three Big Ten teams losing, obviously, over the next few weeks. Uh, Alabama, I think, is going to lose handily to Georgia in the SEC championship. Without blinking, that's going to put Notre Dame at number five, number six. Notre Dame has a real shot at the college football playoff where they're going to get destroyed by Georgia, and I feel gross saying it. But, man, if Oregon finds a way to lose to Utah or Cincinnati finds a way to lose to Houston, like Notre Dame only needs one chaotic thing to happen, and they're in the college football playoff, and that's gross. Can you at some point just mention to the people on the committee, nobody wants to see Notre Dame get their ass kicked on national television? Can can we also be real, like, if I watch Cincinnati lose 70 to nothing, it'll feel better than watching Notre Dame lose 40 to 14. Like, because I've just seen that so many times. Like, I, I just, I don't need to see that again. Like, we know how the Notre Dame thing ends. Poor Notre Dame. He's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate y'all. Thanks. Yeah, poor Notre Dame. You guys writing them off. Uh, it's a new team, Jared. It's a new year. Something I did also want to want to, if they do. The NFL playoffs in the same way that the college, uh, like the committee does the uh, college football playoff. The Chiefs are definitely Alabama there, aren't they? They're going to be the team that's like, yeah, they got three losses, but uh, put them in. Put them in. They got Mahomes. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Andy Reid's Nick Saban. We know they're good. All right, here we go. We've got a pair of tickets to go to Enchant Christmas. Step into Enchant, the world's most magical light maze experience filled with holiday light displays up to 100 feet tall. November 26th through January 2nd, out at Las Vegas Ballpark. We got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number four. 
two-point lead, eight seconds to go. McKinney into the front court. McKinney down the right side. McKinney all the way under. Shot blocked by Ham. Taken by McCabe, and the Rebels win the game. Royce Ham with another huge defensive play, and the Rebels win it 64 to 62. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. UNLV basketball is 3 and 0. What a start for the Running Rebels. They play Michigan on Friday. Michigan is They're currently They're going ranked. for 4 and 0. They are. Michigan's currently ranked in the top 5, but they did just lose to Seton Hall last night, so they'll still be in the top 5 when UNLV plays them, but they are no longer an unbeaten team. Um UNLV, by the way, that game starts at 9:30. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> the first game UNLV plays on TV and it's at 9.30 p.m. Which, by the way, if you're a UNLV fan, you should feel fortunate. Well, if you're a UNLV fan that lives in Las Vegas, you should feel fortunate because it starts at 9.30. Michigan fans that are in Michigan, the game starts at 12.30. The game starts after midnight. I mean, <laughs> not to be partial, but uh, you can also listen to it here at 9.30 on ESPN Las Vegas. Good. So, one thing we need to talk about is Royce Ham. Uh, you heard they're coming back from break. Royce Ham had a walk-off block to help UNLV hold on and beat North Dakota State. He has had basically two game-sealing blocks in three games so far this year. He has 41 rebounds as well in three games. The next highest on the team, Donovan Williams and Marvin Coleman, are tied with 15. Like <laughs> UNLV, they're playing. So Victor E. Walker is hurt. Uh, he's day-to-day. Kevin Kruger hasn't really given a very definitive timeline on when they expect him back, but that's really the other big man to watch out for. They've played David Mwaka some, the transfer um, from, oh Lord, I'm completely blanking on where he came from, Lamar, the transfer from Lamar. He's played some, but hasn't been really much of an impact player. Really, Royce Ham's the only big they've been giving consistent minutes to, so he's going to rack up a lot of rebounds by default because... Bryce Hamilton is the de facto power forward in a lot of these lineups. Bryce Hamilton's not a great rebounder. He'll have some games. He'll have some moments where he's had big rebound numbers, but he's not a great rebounder. So you're ultimately playing four guys that aren't really good to great rebounders. Marvin Coleman, honestly, for his position, is probably the second best rebounder on the team right now. So Bryce Ham's going to rack up a lot of rebounds. They need him to be a good rebounder. And he's also been surprisingly a very good rim protector But what I'm curious to see offensively for this team, what's the second piece, right? They've got Bryce Hamilton and Hamilton has been, honestly, he's been really bad offensively in the first 35 minutes of game. We talked about it yesterday. (laughs) He's shooting 29% in the first 35 minutes of games, but he's been awesome in the last five minutes shooting 59%. That'll normalize right he's not going to shoot 29% in the first 35 minutes of games the entire season he's also not going to shoot damn near 60% at the end of games either that'll normalize he's still ultimately going to be a high volume pretty low efficiency scorer but he does score he does he is a scorer right you need somebody to score at some point so that is going to be good they need a second piece in reality they probably need somebody to be better than Bryce Hamilton but they need at least a second piece I don't know that Royce Ham is that guy on the offensive end because a lot of his points are coming from offensive rebounding or, you know, he's the role man going to the basket, right? He's not really creating his own points. I guess technically getting an offensive rebound is creating your own points, but you can't really run an offensive rebound play. So he's not really 
offensively creating the shots there. Michael Nuga's the big one, right? Michael Nuga's the one that I'm looking at where preseason coming in, he had the Kent State 17 points per game last year, had the resume that you said, yeah, that guy could do it. And we've seen some glimpses of Michael Nuga where he's beaten guys off the dribble for layups. He's come off a ball screen, gotten all the way to the rim. Those are the types of plays you want to see from Michael Nuga because if he can do that on a semi-consistent basis, then all of a sudden he's that number two guy offensively and you have two guys that can create shots in Hamilton and Nuga and that's going to be key going forward. What I do think the problem is though, it goes back to the big rotation. We haven't seen Michael Nuga consistently beat guys off the dribble, consistently take a ball screen and get a good shot out of it. Because have we seen Michael Nuga consistently on the floor? Like he's playing a good chunk of minutes, but the way Kevin Kruger is rotating his guys in and out, it's kind of hard for anybody to sort of show something consistently because you're on such a you know chaotic minutes schedule, basically. So I do think that's kind of hurting guys being able to have big games, not named Bryce Hamilton. Because what's happened is even Bryce Hamilton, he has not had good games or big games until the final five minutes, right? When they get in the final five minutes, it becomes, okay, Bryce Hamilton, this is your time. Here's the ball. I've seen that at any point for anybody else. It's really been sporadic and chaotic because not only is the rotation big and the minutes sort of, you know, scattered around, I don't even know offensively that they're really like, they're not they're not going to one or two things until the final five minutes, right? Like they're not they don't have like, oh yes, we can give Michael Nuga or Jordan McCabe or anybody, we can give them a ball screen or we can run this play multiple times to get that player in a good spot. It's kind of all over the place, right? They're running more they're running more that's just sort of for anybody that happens to be open, which can be good, but at the same time when we're trying to figure out, okay, who is going to be the number two option. It makes it harder to figure out. I still think it's Nuka. Jordan McCabe's got a shot to do it. He's going to shoot a little more mid-range jumpers than I'd like. Baker. Josh Baker's been better than expected. Um, so there's still some options there, right? But it is it is still a question mark, right? Where's that number two scoring going to come from? Because you can't win every game 58 to 56, right? You can't expect to win all of your games that way or even win enough to be a legitimate Mountain West contender or NCAA tournament level team, you're going to have to find some offense that's not Bryce Hamilton taking over in the final five minutes. I think it's Michael Nuka. That's where I would go. Royce Ham sort of is going to get points because he's on the floor a lot. He's going to get offensive rebounds. He's going to get dump offs, but I think they're going to need it to be Michael Nuka to be the guy getting a more consistent volume on offense.